Hello, welcome to the second Knoxville Game Design Chat Meetup Podcast. I still don't have a name for it. Um, We're recording this Sunday, February 14th on Valentine's Day. The game we're going to be discussing on this show is the Beginner's Guide. Just a a warning, there's going to be spoilers. We're going to completely discuss the games that we choose. Uh, If you want to play along with us in the next episode, uh, the game that we pick to do has left my mind. What was it? Crashlands. Crashlands. It is available on Steam. I think we looked at it. It was $14.99. It's called Crashlands. Um, recent release, made in Game Maker. So um, that'd be a good one for uh, discussion on as indie game designers. So I am Mike. I'm here with Dylan. Hi. Levi. Hello. Jeffrey. Jacob. Jacob. Greetings. And Jeffrey. And Jeffrey. <laughs> I do that all the time. I do that all the time. I apologize. It's just somehow like Jeffrey sounds like the younger name. And then <laughs> yeah. I, I switch that all the time. Um, so I'll just, I'll just kick off with you, Dylan, lately. What's, what's been going on lately? Playing or? Almost neither. Like I, I haven't played a ton of anything. Maybe board games. Maybe some of the uh, X-Wing uh, miniatures game. That sort of thing. Manager board game, Levi, were you? I've been doing a little bit of game development in Unity again for a mini LD game. And I've also been playing One Piece Pirate Warriors 3 for the PlayStation 4. So I really love my Koei Omega Force. Is that an Atlas? It sounds uh, like it's, it's Omega Force Koei, so it's okay. kind of in the same vein as that, but it's in the One Piece universe, which is an anime that's currently running on Toonami. So it's like Crossing Worlds. All right, Jacob, what about you? I've been making a game, but I've also been pl- I've been making a, a game. I don't have quite a name for it. But it's like I've been working on it in Game Maker, and it's like larger than any other game I've made. But besides that, I've also been playing a game called Shovel Knight, which is actually, on my opinion, is actually kind of hard on certain levels and on certain aspects of the game. But otherwise, it's actually a pretty good game with, of how it's made. Shovel Knight might be a good one to loop around at some point for us. Yeah. Um. How about you, Jeffrey? Um, I've, I never had a chance to play Final Fantasy X. I've been picking it up on Vita, and I got it for Christmas. been playing playing through the first time ever. Which one is X? Is that a single-player one? That's not a multiplayer? It's a single-player, okay. yeah. Final Fantasy X. Yeah, yeah. It's on PlayStation 2. Like, what's the main character in X? Tidus and Titus, Yuna. Titus, yeah. Okay, I'm not... Lulu, Waka. Yeah, that one, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like Star Wars names. Fantasy. I don't know why. Yeah, I, I will recognize names as Final Fantasy, but... Yeah, there's so many at this point. A lot of them, just like, sure, that's from one of the games. Yeah, I had never played it, so I've given it a shot. It's too bad they never made any after this. It's the HD remastered version, so it's got some pretty nice-looking cutscenes okay. and stuff. So. Cool. Uh, myself, I've been um, working in Unity and Blender a lot and figuring that process out uh, for my own workflow. And game-wise, I played The Witness and um, Firewatch, which I thought I'd be talking about The Witness, but I'm actually... Firewatch is the more interesting game as a designer to me, believe it or not, because of what they got the Unity engine to do. There is a lot of um, GDC talks that are available for free. Campo Santo has done and how they um, rewrote how fog works and how they changed different graphic elements um, so that the posters that Ali Moss had done look like the 2D static art posters, look like that in a 3D environment. Um, the game is really good, too. Really excellent voice acting, and I really enjoyed the game. So um, I actually did not see myself going back over that game because it's like a six-hour 
adventure narrative story and then you're done and it's like not the sort of thing you might want to play a second time but the technology that they got out of the unity engine which just kind of blew me away the game is beautiful um so that's sort of the impressive game that i've been playing all right so um i'm gonna start with jacob Hi. for your first your thoughts on the beginner's guide where do you want to start and, and however you want to do it man the only words I can say is like it's the this is I have never seen I've never played through an experience like this ever that I can remember of. Like this game was very interesting like with the story of the background of the guy that made the Stanley Parable. And like I just thought that was just interesting that I never knew that that was his background. I just thought he was a indie game creator and not because not just because of this guy not just because of the guy coda i just thought it was interesting that that this is his background i never thought that this would be part of someone's life so uh i'm gonna probably preface everybody needs to state on this i guess for review of the game what was your interpretation of the game like when you got done playing it what did you think the game was about i thought the game was about like of how I just don't know. I couldn't really think of what <laughs> that is valid. <laughs> I just didn't know. I couldn't put it into a form. I just couldn't. What about the story? Like I, the story, I I could. I thought that story was interesting. Of how like this guy that has made this well received game, of how like his background was like this. I never thought that. I thought this was cool. I thought that, like, this was cool with, like, all of the things that happened, like, all the emotions and things, all the events and stuff like that between this creator, between this purse, between this, this reclusive creator and this person, like his, fr like his friend in a way. I guess, like, half friend or whatever. I thought it was interesting. You do a really good job, even though it feels like you can't describe yeah. it. Because that is, that is a beginner's guide. And um, this game was uh, Jacob's choice. And when he, when he chose that, it was kind of like, yes, let's, let's go for that. Because um, you get older, you get jaded. And, you know, you start to pick things apart. And you see things differently. And I was really curious for your view. Yeah, go ahead, Jeffrey. He very much believed it was a truthful, real story. That Davy Reading in the game is Davy Reading in real life. That's, um, that was his take, like, immediately when he got done playing, that this is, I said, do you think that was real? He said, yeah, that's the story. Like, that was his real story. And that was what... Davey Reedon will not say one way or the other. Like, approach that question, is there a real coda? Is this actual truth? He will not answer it. Um, well, you want to read into that or not is sort of what the beginner's guy is about, too. Um, and whether he's just doing that for keeping up the mystique of the game, uh, but that is definitely an ending. You want to go for your thoughts? Well, I can. I mean, I, that was not, I mean, you know, in one of the game jams that I entered, people picked apart my entry as not being a game, and that's kind of left me a little bit of that feeling is there wasn't much interactive game element to it. You were, it was kind of a, a digital tour through a story. And they, you know, showed you while well, they called them games, and I could see that they were game. As there were aspects of a game there. It was more of a digital tour through somebody's portfolio of creations, 
And uh, there was a story to it that, you know, at, the longer it went on, the more I found it was more of a, of a self-reflection of what was going on, in my opinion. The less it was about Cody, the more it was about Davey. Yeah, more it was about Davey, especially some of the comments. If you really got to reading the little tidbits that were posted on the walls and stuck around in the places, you know, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of a, you know, I got to where I thought maybe Coda and Davey were the same. You know, that it was not two different people, but it was uh, an inner personality or the game creator inside the you know, the person. That's, that's uh, interesting to hear because that is very close to, like, where I'm settling in the view of this is that Davy and Coda are the same person and it's a head conversation that's happening. Or it's a want to return to Coda exists as a younger Davy. Coda was Davy. Davy became successful, but he wants to be Coda again. And some of these things were private and mine, and they shouldn't be brought back up. You know, we we tested that and put it away, and you know now you're digging back through. And I didn't go that way, but I did think that was a possibility. There was it was very clear that there was going to be a twist. And yeah, it, it kind of set you up for that, but it never told you what the twist was until it happened. Yeah, and the return to the prison and the puzzle and it just it seemed like we were working through somebody's mind to get the ideas out and break them free and that just that was my kind of interpretation that it, maybe it wasn't a, a maybe it was a true story but not like an actual real event true story based on event based on events yeah. based on a true story that's not a true story it's just a true it's just it's a, a story, story made out of yeah a story made out of a story that was made Bits out of a story Levi, you guys who wants to you guys might have a little bit more text written, so I was kind of like, who wants to go first? Either way. I can go. Uh, <laughs> All right. That's fine. Uh, so here are my thoughts on the game. Uh, basically, I had played the Stanley Parable before, just the demo, and I really liked it. It was something different. Uh, one thing that I noticed was in the Stanley Parable, there were actually achievements. This is kind of a technical thing, but in Beginner's Guide, if you're looking for a game to get achievements or Steam cards, it doesn't have them in there. And it's just like the achievements are buried, so I kept looking for them. They just aren't there. Uh, so uh, one thing that I did like about uh, the Stanley Parable was the narration, but I, I got kind of tired of like this uppity British narrator. So I was kind of glad in Beginner's Guide it's just like a regular speaking American type guy. And, you know, to Davey's credit, I mean, he's the developer. He does a great job voice acting. Oh, did he actually yeah. do the voice he acting? Actually, that is actually oh, Davey's own voice. And, I mean, through the emotions and everything, he did a great job. Um, I had the same thoughts as like, is this Coda person, is it a real person, is the same guy as the developer? Uh, I thought there was going to be a twist at the end, it just never did seem to come. Uh, and I was also wondering if the narrator uh, was Davy himself, which you just explained there. And uh, one thing I did look up on the Wikipedia page for the Beginner's Guide is, did David Reedon, did he actually create this game alone? There was a group of developers that actually created this game. So it wasn't just him going off. These are really my creations here that I'm, like, stringing together. Uh, that actually seems interesting because that, you know, that, that's how you would get it to feel like different games. Exactly. There is um, a note that I've got when I, when I come around and I get into it. Um, there is a potential that Coda is one of the people who were working on this game. Um, 
So it, it's interesting. Okay. Not directly, though. Coda Fictional is a fictional character. David didn't take this from this other developer. But the events in Coda's life closely mirrored another developer um, that was on the team. I also thought it could have been somebody else's story. And, and most of the teamwork, by the way, was um, QA and testing. Davy's work was a lot of the creation of the story. And so, like, a lot of it is him, but there just becomes part of you. Like, hey, you need people to check this because it, if it's buggy. Oh, yeah. They would ruin this entire game if you, like, oh, well, it's broken. I actually ran into a case in when you're in the prison and you're coming back down the elevator. I got stuck. And it took me a few seconds because I was like, Am I supposed to get stuck here? Is this a joke? Are they going to reset me? And anyway, I would say did you, you you played Coda's original version because in the dialogue he's like in Coda's original version you were stuck in the prison for an hour before. No, it was like know, a bug where you you couldn't get down. It was obviously uh, not like, but yeah. I actually went off. Um, I guess the staircase. I like like my first inclination was walk over the edge. And I walked way over the edge and started looking off, and the voice comes on and goes, despite what you're looking for, there's nothing over here. <laughs> it guided me to come back to the stairs. Um, so I remember back in my elementary school uh, music class, like Coda and a piece of music is like the ending piece of the music. So I didn't know if there's like any significance in that. Um, I think there can be. It's um, in music, specifically the Coda, is a place you return to then play to the end. Yeah. It's not a repeat section. You go to Coda. But yeah, you go here, and then it means to go to the end. So go to this point, and then the end. I have not been able to fit that cleanly into the name, other than an abstract of this ties into Coda is Davy at a different point in time. Yeah, now that sort of Coda is spelled C-O-D-A. Now, I don't know if the Coda in uh, Beginner's Guide is spelled with a K or not. No, it's it's a C. Oh, it is spelled with a C. It showed the name somewhere. Uh, yeah, I have subtitles turned on, so we'd see. Um, when I was playing this, I really got a, a, a feel of like it was like a mist type game where you have all these different worlds like put together, and there was like this uh, just omnipresent force or something you feel that's like looking over to you the whole time. And you also have the narrator guiding you around. It kind of reminded me of like the red page and blue page. That's kind of old school, but yeah. missed. It's like, oh, go collect the blue, blue pages or red pages. So you have the narrator in this game instructing you to do similar things. Um, it also sort of reminded me of a Stanley Kubrick movie, sort of like a Space Odyssey <laughs> or a uh, Shining or something like that. It's just the same style with that unknown entity that's always watching you. Uh, when I started playing it, I really wanted to solve the labyrinth, the little maze at the beginning. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed. It's like, oh, here you go. Did you go back? I actually went back and okay. it does make a comment. That oh, says, right. I watched you on stream do that. Yeah. And they're like, I oh, watched yeah. you on stream go back and get lost in the maze. Yeah. It's like, oh, if you really want to do this, go ahead. So it does let you, but there's no reward or bonus for finding your way back or anything um the actual after that the reactor scene it sort of reminded me of half-life one where you're in that uh chamber with your reactor and it's just a similar theme where you walk into it and half-life one like takes you to this other abstract world but in this they just instruct you to walk into the reactor there 
Um, the next little mini game, it sort of reminded me one of my uh, mini Let em Dare entries uh, where you could only walk backwards. I thought that was kind of funny because I actually made a game where you could only walk backwards. So I really liked the, that about this game where they had all these different little mechanics just like put together to make one game. Um, first of all, I didn't realize if there was a save feature for the game, but if you come back to the game, you can't actually select any chapter. Um, and it seemed weird to me. Like, I can't imagine going back to a single, but... Yeah, I, I just kept wondering, I was like, oh, is this saving? I'm going to have to start from the very beginning again. <laughs> so that sort of had me confused. It's a comment on my, like, 10 hours of played time now in Beginner's Guide that I have. <laughs> 10 hours of play? <laughs> yes. Why is there 10 hours of play? Because I've gone back to it more than once and, and written up thoughts for discussions like this more than once. Oh, okay. Um, my one concern about this game is, will it only appeal to game developers? Will game developers see the little inside jokes about, oh, this is how a game is made? Will just a casual gamer pick this up? I and- think anyone who is into a creative endeavor, like if you're into an artistic creative endeavor that has a commercial component to it, they're, they're, it's relatable. Uh, it doesn't have to be directly like some of the stuff he's talking about obviously is very game dev centric but if you were making custom uh, mini YouTube animations or something like that and then all of a sudden experience explosive popularity you could see some of the things I I may be reading too much into it but I think it's not possible okay okay no this part but I I I almost think it, it could be relevant to anyone who has a hobby or something that they're passionate about or whatever falls under the kind of the geek umbrella, because that's essentially what Coda is doing in this. Like he is basing his identity on something he's passionate about. And it kind of wrangles with, is that a good way to handle things? But I'll get into that. Let's like, uh, uh, I guess I was taking a carload of ventures, venture scouts somewhere. They were watching, um, I guess it was... Uh, Harry Potter, I No, think. it was not Harry Potter. It was, uh, was it called Bridesmaids, I guess? And the lady got really depressed and made a cupcake. It was like a really beautiful cupcake, and then she ate it. And it like, destroyed her own beautiful creation that she spent hours making. And like nobody's ever going to see that cupcake, but she spent all that time and effort. You know, it's like these games. You know, he threw them in the trash. He spent all that time making them. I mean, it was like... And was, I, think, yeah, I think one of the questions at it is... Maybe there's nothing wrong with that. That cupcake was never meant for anyone else. But her. <laughs> the process of making the cupcake may right. be more important than the cupcake. It's a very meta cupcake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, some more of my thoughts. Uh, I was wondering, is it, like I think Jeffrey or Dylan mentioned earlier, is this an actual game or just like an interactive movie or an interactive story? There really wasn't an overall objective aside from finding the lamppost for each stage. And I was wondering, does there actually need to be a a lose state to actually be considered a game? And I know there are like simulation games like SimCity. You really don't have a lose state. But with the the lamppost right at the end in the tower stage, it said, quit adding lampposts to my games. (laughs) That's actually that... Quit adding lampposts is what got me to 10 hours of gameplay because that was like the message of... Wait a minute. And then it's just like the mind just starts going. I'm like, how would, if you take them as two separate people, how do you add lampposts to someone else's game without the source code? 
Like you really, you don't, you can't. So what's going on here? And then that explosion of, of thought, it was like, all right, I'm gonna start peeling back this onion. Yeah, I did like the lamppost in the game. It kind of gave the game a recurring theme or something like that. I do something similar with my games. I have like a quip or a saying that I put at the very end of my games or some of the other themes like, a, like white fences I usually put in my game just like to kind of tie all my games together so you know it's something that I've developed. Uh, one uh, line that I really liked in the game is when the narrator was saying that Kodo likes to make games weird for weirdness sake. I like to do that in a lot of my games just so, so people say, what in the world is that? <laughs> so I just kind of like giving that emotion in my games. Uh, games do reflect my mood and I think that was something they stressed in the beginner's guys. like when Coda was feeling bad he made more angry toned games and when he's feeling good they were more lighthearted. and I kind of do the same it's like a, uh, when I'm in a good mood I make games like Amish Brothers when I'm in a bad mood I make games like Dreamworld that are just intended to scare or frighten people <laughs> What is Dreamwall? I've never uh, it was a game that I made for Ludum Dare where you play little teddy bear and he has to get out of the nightmare. I think that's natural though for anybody that uses an art form or hobby as an outlet for their to escape their personal. You know, you're either in it for absolute perfection or you're in it as an outlet. Kind of. I mean. Well, you're the, never working in a vacuum. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I mean, if, <laughs> you're going for perfection. Um, I kind of thought that the fake chat systems were novel. It reminded me of some old, like I used to go to some BBS chat rooms and if there was nobody in the chat room, it would come up with this AI. And I did like how the AI of the chat system like evolved throughout the game. Like at the very beginning, it was very crude. Then it kind of felt like you might've actually been communicating with a real person. But I never knew if any of the chat decisions that I made in the game had any impact on the game or anything at all. I know some were gray and some were yellow. Some you would get in a loop until you pick that I one choice. I don't think you you affect any state in the game other than seeing dialogue. Uh, and on multiple playthroughs, there's not even a lot of variance in response. Like it's, it's the kind of system where it's like, okay, well you chose that. Here's a line responding to that choice and then the next pre-program paragraph that comes regardless. So um, you don't have to worry about did I pick the you know did I get this outcome because I picked that I didn't find that in any of my 10 hours of play because yeah, I noticed like the one scene where you're in the classroom sitting in the classroom looking down yes. then when you're actually down there looking out at the uh, the auditorium with the big black hole in the background I know at that point it's like oh you must pick this thing whatever that choice was which I don't remember what it was off the top of my head but I picked different like every time I was inclined to pick whatever choice wasn't highlighted exactly. or one of the other two. It isn't like a mass effect where you can be, become Paragon or Renegade based on your choices, I suppose. I, only, I think I only found one, maybe two instances where the conversation actually seemed to match what I was, the way I changed it. Uh, the rest of the time it just had like a default answer, like it pre-picked what, how it was going to reply. And I don't think that's unintentional. I don't think that's just like, well, I didn't code a bunch of options. I think that's more of a Davies intention of yeah, I know you want to do that. I'm not letting you. Like, as a, as a game designer of the Beginner's Guide, not Davey in the Beginner's Guide, I'm not going to let it because I want to create the emotional response in you of, you're not listening to me, game, you know? I think he uses that sometimes in there. And he's the guy that created the Stanley Parable. I mean, if anybody's going to start messing with your head through game design, it's the guy who did the Stanley Parable. Um, 
One other theme that I noticed in the game was the dark space where you got to open the one door, close it, and go through the next. I really didn't know what the significance of that was, but I kept expecting something to jump out at me. Like at the very end, they're going to light up the room and it's like something horrible, but it, it never did happen. Um, I liked how they had dates on each individual game. It kind of reminded me of what I did with the, like a year in review where I showed the progress of when I just start, first started developing and how my games became better uh, through the months and years. Um, one thing that I thought was funny, I think it's when you're in the house and you're having to like make the bed and uh, do the dishes and all that, uh, the narrator said that he took Coda's games and put them online for other people to play. And I thought, that's kind of nice. I mean, sharing them to the world. But when he said that the other people who'd played the games thought they were good games, I just couldn't buy that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> nobody would think these are good games. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know about the ending. I thought it felt kind of lazy. I have a visual. <laughs> yeah, people listening won't be able to see this. But this is like the basic plot diagram that we all learned in like sixth grade. English, where you have the opening, you learn a little bit about the characters, then you have your rising action, and you come to the climax, and that resolves into the ending of the story. But it seemed like this kept building up, and we never got the resolution. It just ended, and it shows you this big maze there at the end. The reason I think why that happens is you expect the story to be, you expect to be here yes. at the end of the resolution. And it turns out you're actually here. Yeah. At the climax, yeah. and you're going through it as as it's happening. I think you can take um, Davy at at the most angry, and the the machine gun, and shooting apart, destroying it as sort of the climax. And then you're you're falling back down is when he leaves, and yeah. now you're going through without Davy's narration anymore because he has left. I think you could. Try to. I don't know that this whole thing though fits into that model. Yeah, I think they just threw in the huge maze at the end. I was like, okay, I don't know how to end this, so I'm gonna make something that looks cool. By the way, were you guys like technically impressed at that maze? Yeah, I could look at that maze going like, at what point is this thing going from 2D to 3D objects because it cannot have that many polygons on screen, and I cannot find that point. I was looking for you know the repetition or something in it, but it seemed to be a true. I don't think that was his intent, but as a game designer, I'm like, how did you do this final scene? Well, and also the one where they cut back the walls and it showed all the tunnels that went yes. everywhere. Oh, I was yeah. like, wow, that yeah. is elaborate. <laughs> so I'm almost done here. Uh, I was a little bit disappointed there was no real twist at the end, no real surprises. Uh, I noticed at the end it said this game, what was it, 4R dot? So I was like, oh, mm -hmm. who's R dot? I'm That's a question. Yeah. I mean, still to this day, that is a question. And uh, I know this isn't like a review, but it seems like this game was a little bit pricey, 10 bucks, and I got like three hours of gameplay out of it. I heard other people completing it in like an hour or an hour and a half. So. I probably spent an hour and a half on it, maybe. Yeah. I thought it was a good experience, a little bit. Yeah, I even think in the Steam store he says that, like it's like a 90 minute, which was impressive because he does this right at the time where Steam says if you have less than two hours played and owned it for less than two weeks, you can get a refund. And then he puts on the page, this game is 90 minutes long. He's telling you, you could buy this game, play the entire game, and get a refund. And I don't care. Which I thought was kind of an interesting, you know, like, thing. But I was like, I'm glad he's... Because $10 for two hours might set off some 
forum posts and things like that, but he just came out and said that's what it is. So as long as you're upfront you, about it, you knew going in, and Steam would allow you to give a refund. So um, because of that, I wonder too. Like, is there any significant piracy shifts? Of like, was there less piracy of this game because you could just go ahead and refund it through Steam's default program, and then anybody they want to pay for it would do it like that, or if it just doesn't matter. Yeah. That's a different. You're still gonna jump through. That's a side question. Nothing to do with it. Yeah. You ready, Dylan? Yes. So I kind of approached it. I guess. I guess full disclosure. I um, I assume that they're different people. Um, I assume that it is not true, or I guess the the discussion of this kind of reminds me of a religion professor I have in college who made the distinction between factual and true. Something can be not factual and be true, and in that, um, I think that kind of applies to this. Um, I thought it was interesting. Well, I, I I kind of approached it less from game mechanics and less from the question of is this a game and more from what it did in storytelling. And what I what I found really interesting was, despite this being a very extreme sort of story with real world people, it still man it managed to convey something real and something mature about how these characters are interacting. Um, I think that was an interesting thing they did with dates, where you know this is all cut together, where it's very intense, but if you look at the dates, it's actually you know, much slower. Um, It's one of those things where I think, and this is probably true for most people, to some extent, maybe to a very minor extent, you've probably been on both sides of this sort of of thing. Um, Yeah, but the dates, I noticed like as you play through the games, he makes like very fast iterations at first. Like, oh, he created this game in a week and it took him two months to do this one. Then it like took him six months. So I didn't know if there was any significance in that. Maybe that's because he's becoming more reclusive and he's segregated himself from the real world. And he's only like developing this every so often. But it does seem like something that that's how it would happen in real life. Mm -hmm. But if you cut it together like that, you can still maintain the dramatic tension and and Mm -hmm. push it forward. Um, but I, I think it's interesting because essentially you've got this story about two characters and the mature aspect of it is you're kind of having to realize that there may not be a bad guy here, um, per se, or, or at least that the, you know, the bad and hurtful people in this are doing things that they think are either right or at least necessary. And that, that tends to be true in the real world. And it's also that, you know, Davy is kind of set up as this character who's obsessed with being kind of a hero or a paragon of virtue. And, you know, one of the things I've had to learn getting older is like when you see that, that probably indicates a kind of a warped idea of heroism and virtue. So that I thought that was a good way of telling a story that felt real. Yeah, I think uh, all of Davy's intentions were like noble. I don't yeah. think he was trying to sabotage. Like, yeah, but it was think. you're you're going with, through the process of him learning that, yeah. which I think is is kind of an important thing to to be able to see. Learning it's, that even through good intentions, you could be doing harm. Yes, and, and yes. not meaning it at all, and not not sugarcoating it as you know a lot of you know a lot of games, a lot of movies. You know, back to his chart with the resolution and everything, I thought the tower phase kind of was a resolution a little bit with the comments and the yeah. no narration from Davy. You just had to look and 
you know, the, the story was written on the wall, really, the resolution. Really, at that point, Coda is narrating to you. Yeah. Like, yes. At that point, you've been getting Davy's side and maybe Coda's side if you're ignoring Davy, um, treating Davy as the unreliable narrator, meaning that what Davy says is not necessarily the fact or truth. You're giving Davy's perception of Coda's Right. Davy is coloring your interpretation of events. So if you put that aside, then you can get Coda's conversation a little bit if you look for it. But toward the end, you're just getting codas. Like when you get to the stop putting lampposts in my game. No, he's still talking at that point, isn't he? Because he doesn't comment on that. That was the other thing that stuck on me. I'm like, dude, this thing says stop putting lampposts on my game. Can you? <laughs> you lied to us. Yeah, for the record, man, you you lied to us because you told me Coda put the lamppost in the game and you loved that bit. We gotta figure this out, man. Yeah, that's like, where I started getting them. Like, are they the same yeah. person? Safe zone. Let's hug it out, man. <laughs> but tell me what's going on. But that's one of those things that that kind of feels real. Again, it's extreme, but it's like these are things that you know. Even if they are two different characters, they don't necessarily sit down and discuss this. There's just kind of these assumptions that get get made, and you know, over years that can be lost. Um, also, thought it was nice to see, like I said, that. It, the resolution of it kind of pointed to something bigger than just gaming. Like I said, a lot of things under the geek umbrella, the idea is following your passion is the path to stability and personal fulfillment. And that kind of ends up, you know, there's a scene where they go through the floating islands and they end up with the in the room with the blocks with the text on it. And, you know, I'm kind of feeling angry at the narrator because the narrator is basically reducing Coda to this caricature of gaming, gaming, gaming. And I didn't expect the reveal there to be um, that, yeah, you're right. Coda needs to go out and get away from this and do something else. I expected the Coda, the, the reveal to be, oh, Coda finally figures out what he loves and everyone's happy. So that actually um, kind of surprised me. Um, I think there's kind of two layers of what's going on here. Um, one, there's a commentary on the games industry, uh, to an extent. It, it feels like, you, you know, kind of to the extent now that individual developers kind of become these big mythical figures who have all the answers and, and things like that, because that's essentially what Coda becomes to Davey. Um, and it kind of makes me reinterpret the um, the game as like I go back. There was a um, there was a documentary I saw about Bob Dylan that showed some of these uh, press conferences he did in the '60s, where people were asking him these questions, like he's this guru, and he's just giving these antagonistic, weird answers because you can tell, you know, it's just weird. It's sort of like the Beatles with I am the walrus. Yeah. Of like, yeah, if you, okay, if you think there's meaning in our lyrics, we're just going to yeah. get stupid on this song with, with crazy lyrics. Or if you're asking us to spell out what the meaning is and treating yeah. us like we have all the answers, you know, that's what it kind of felt like. Going off of that association, it kind of reminded me, um, there is a song in, or there's a, in, there's liner notes on Bob Dylan's The Free Willin' where he talks about, um, the song A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, which is basically just he took the first lines of a bunch of songs and strung them together. <laughs> because this was in the middle of the Cuban Missile Crisis and he didn't think he'd have a chance to write all these songs. And it kind of felt like that. Um, 
So there's kind of that big game industry level. There's also kind of, like I said, this personal level where he's talking about, you know, boundaries and external validation and essentially reducing people to characters, caricatures. And, you know, I thought there would be a lot of just, because there were a lot of obvious and the details and the easy answers early on. And I thought the message would just be, just care about people and be there for them. And, you know, great. I sat through two hours just to hear, you know, a nice message. Um, what's funny is I contrast this with Undertale. And my problem, I think, in the Undertale podcast was it did, you know, it, it made me feel things about the characters, you know, annoyance, pity, or something like that. But I came away feeling like, okay, what do I do with this? You know, and, and the game, at least from playing an hour and a half, you may, be, you may disagree, didn't give me much of a choice as to what to do. Um, I could talk down enemies in battle, but, you know, I'm picking up their archetype and following a script. Um, you know, and it kind of, it's trying to get at empathy, but ultimately, to me, it felt like this sort of cheap... Sort of Undertale did. Yeah, where, um, you know, there's a, a big distance between what you, the player, are feeling and what the character is feeling. Um, you know, you're treating... You're treating all these characters as basically still objects that kind of exist at your whim. Um, what I think the beginner's guide did was, well, I guess let me back up. As a game developer, I, developer, I look at that gap and go like, well, there needs to be a way to make empathy not feel cheap, you know. My the way I would do it is like make it a mechanic so that you, the player, want to care, but the character can't you know make it a resource um the beginners kind of feel like took it in a different direction so in kind of the twist reveal when you see all the the emails um what i found interesting about that is it felt like it was implicating you like you've been following along with davy's story you are for all intents and purposes basically davy at that point um right like we were talking about the first time i hit that lamppost and it was like a shock like, I've been going along, Davey's been telling me this, I'm not really questioning that. Yeah. Even when, like, on subsequent playthroughs, I'm like, I really should have questioned that. That just sounds wrong. Yeah. Like, he just said one thing and then the exact opposite, opposite. the next sentence, you know? Yes. Um, and, and, yeah, so when you get to the ending in the first time, Coda's emails are yeah. like, wait, what? Yeah, and you're not experiencing this. Like I said, there's not that gap between the character and the narr- or the player and the character. Like you're kind of getting your hands dirty through this. You're not just kind of like experiencing a surface level and walking away. Because um, if Coda doesn't want his games out and being played, right? You just played them all. Yes, but also because you're hearing Davy's story so closely, you know, you've got that. Um, you know, basically, through Davy, you have taken the risk of human interaction. You've botched it by violating boundaries. You've paid the cost. Um, and I think that accomplishes the thing that kind of bugged me about Undertale. And that's, like I said, that's kind of why I'd like to see more from games. You know, I kind of like the Walking Dead game where it's like you have to figure out how to integrate this into some bigger core mechanic instead of making its own mechanic. There's a point when you're looking at a decision and a part of your brain says, 
there is a game mechanic at play here. Regardless yes. of the narrative or what I want to choose, I have been putting points into Paragon, and I need to keep putting points into Paragon to make this my Paragon run and get the Paragon achievement or see the Paragon outcome, and that you might not make a choice that might be considered renegade or different or indifferent. Yeah. Because you know it's a game, whereas in a beginner's guide, I don't think you ever have a feeling of, like, he's what keeping score here. Yeah. Well, and not just that. So, you, you know, you have to figure out a way to balance it out because in, in this and The Walking Dead and things like that, you're focusing on this as a mechanic, which you, you know, the challenge is to get something like this sort of storytelling aspect to mesh nicely with other, other mechanics. But I like that, the idea, you know, that, you know, not just making you feel something about the characters, but making you feel that that, you know, that empathy is costly, that you have to set good boundaries, you know, that caring isn't free, and that there's more to life than gaming. Like, that was that was the big surprise, because I did not expect a game about game development to go there. So, that was kind of my thought. All right, you... you... Are you ready? Okay, <laughs> I'm yeah. going to feel less wrap bad up. about Start my answer. You got something, wrap up. I just want to say, you know, one of the couple of things he brought up, you know, and it, the in, the way it ended, it left me like this wasn't the end of the story, and it left me not trusting either character, Coda or Davy. I just was like, you know, I like that because that's kind of putting you in Davy's perspective. You've gone through this incident, and you're like, you just like Davy are having to answer the question, okay, now what do I do? Like, holy crap, I've screwed this up. How do you know? How do I move on from this? How do I change what I think about me and how do I? And you hit the the ray and you pop up and you're seeing the labyrinth and it's just kind of like the maze of life or something, you know. Just and yeah, which path do you choose? This is in my notes. <laughs> and so since we're transitioning to me anyway, I'll just start like throwing them out as they come up. But one of the interpretations or messages in the beginner's guide that I see is highlighting the danger on projecting a person through their art at looking at Davy or at Coda. And because Coda did a thing or Davy did a thing to then project back to that person, oh, then they must be X, you know, to look at uh, Coda and go, "Mm, this is a very depressing game. Coda must be very depressed. He could be completely happy and said, I like this mechanic. I want to make a game that invokes depression and study that and try to implement that, and that has nothing to do with one And that comments, is a caution tale. One of the comments on the wall was like, I'm not depressed, I like prisons, or something like yeah. that, something along those lines. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, and the larger moral tale is, like, you as the player, when you're playing other games or you're playing this game, is to stop yourself from running away and going like, oh, well, he made this, so I think he's, like... He, like you, you, you guys have said, I've, I've been noting, you guys have said, like, oh, maybe it ends with Coda being happy and accepting. And it's like, there's no reason to think he wasn't from the very beginning. Like, oh, yeah, I got that. There is a, you can actually play through the game with narration off. There is a checkbox and options, so you run through the games, there'd be no narration by Davey. And it's sort of like if you want to study film, one good thing to do in film is to watch a movie with the audio off. And then you will notice all the things the camera is doing. And then watch the film with the screen off. And then you'll notice all the things the sound are doing. And then when you watch them together again, you're going to see how they complement. And when they're together, it's kind of hard to see it. But when you separate it out, and I think that's part of it. 
The interesting thing is I didn't necessarily see this as being about interpreting another person through their art. Just however you interact with another person, a lot of this could be applicable. And you're right. Like I, it's a, when they revealed the twist, I figured, oh, Coda's probably normal. It's just easier for Davy to have that narrative where he's not because that basically lets him be the hero. Yeah. It also kind of reminds me of like people that do fan fiction and they show it to us very select. Yeah. Few people, and then if you know one of those people betrayed the trust and showed it to outside the circle, yes, yeah. Um, And I think that is a bigger message too. Um, Davy talks a lot, and sometimes specifically about the feeling because I showed you Coda's work. I felt like it was my work, and I was the one getting credit. I felt good. And we do this a lot, you know. We this is a retweet, this is a reshare, this is taking, you know, a, a, a YouTube video and passing it around. Like I show you this hilarious YouTube video, like I get some sort of warm feeling off being the one who connected you to the thing, and create an attachment to the source material. You know, I mean, have you ever sung a song so much you start to feel like you wrote the song? Like, I mean, that's happened to me a lot. Like, you know, or what'll happen to me is like I really just. I'm irritated that the author dared to write the song in my head, you know, because it's like, you have taken the song I could have written down. And it's just like we get really close to the art. And then that's a danger to where we might do harm unintentionally to the artist because we're diminishing their bits in it. We're in, we feel like we're entitled to it. Um, you think you're the master of showing that art, you know, nobody can show it as good as you, not even the artist to kind of... And I'm not saying this is a negative either. I'm not saying it's a negative. It's almost like human nature. And it's just sort of yeah. like, be aware of human nature, of what yeah, you might be doing. Anything you connect with emotionally, there is that risk. And, and like I said, this seems to carry, show what happens when that risk is wrong. In one way, you've hit what you've been talking about with empathy in gaming. Yeah. You just, there's a dark side of they're connected to the game in a way that you may not you know, I got this down lit lower. I mean, I'll, I'll probably hit it a little bit. But, I mean, there's a phenomenon, and it's called the death of the author. Yeah. And it's at a point in which work, Evangelion is a famous represent, um, the, example, the, um, where the fans and the people consuming the work put a meaning to it that such if the author comes back and does a sequel or says, no, it's not that, the community goes, oh, I'm sorry, who are you? You're wrong. Clearly, in the text, it was meant this. And you're like, I, I wrote it. And it's like, no, no, no. You, this is the death of the author. You no longer have a say in your own work. It has taken its own life, which at some point, and I think this is, again, Beginner's Guide, you want that? Like, I want to create something that lives on its own and people see and you all have your own interpretations. And then it happens. And you forgot what you just said is, I don't want to have complete control or ownership over this. Now I'm wigging out a little bit because my thing has gotten away from me and I have no control over what people are interpreting. Yeah, that reminds me of Lucas in Star Wars. I mean, he made three great movies yeah. and it just took off, made its own mythos and everything. So when he went back and made the three original movies, it's like we're forgetting about all that other stuff. We're rebooting, retcon, hey, whatever. here's the machete order. <laughs> Cut this movie from the canon and, and watch the rest, you know? Uh, and it's like when you do those things... Like, at some point, like, Lucas is probably getting to a point where he's, like, more and more apt to sell it. Because, hey, you know, Lucas is a great example of this as well. Lucas sold no IP. 
not through Lucas Films, not through Lucas Games, like none of it. Everything he touched, they owned. All those LucasArts games, the reason that Double Fine could never, like Tim Schafer could never go back and redo his games is because they were LucasArts IP and LucasArts had to okay it and they weren't doing it. And then like they revitalized, Grim Fandango comes out when it goes to Disney and now it's sort of more of a corporate and like, oh, we can make money, let's, let's do this, you know. Um, so, so where I've got to start in my notes here, um, is I'm going to actually start with some background on Davy himself, the actual real Davy Reedon. Because when I started on this, like there was that question of how much of this is Davy and how much of this is fictional Davy. Uh, and that's kind of how I refer to him. There's real Davy and there's fictional Davy. And that's when I say real Davy, I mean Davy Reedon the person, and fictional Davy, I mean Davy in the story, the beginner's guide. Um, and the beginner's guide puts a lot of efforts into these dates. So what correlates? And yes, I think. I am straight up violating what I just said about reading too much into an author's work. But it, this is a not so much like I'm going to connect these dates and draw a line and have some red yarn on a pin board and connect all You can the always change dates for the sort of You the could. Uh, this is more of like I want to throw out on the table as much as I can and then have a big picture step back to come back to the beginner's guide and interpret it. Because even though you want to look at the art for the art's sake, it cannot be done without context, right? It's not right to study Shakespeare and not go back to that time and understand what did it mean at the time? What did having a king die or something like, that meant more than it means now. Now it's a nice convenient plot. Then it's like, wait, are you saying something about the current rulership? You know, like you could get in trouble for that, you know? Um, so you have to take appreciation into the stories that Shakespeare wrote could have been at a risk to his life, you know? Uh, so here's, here's, some, here's the notes that I condensed down. Um, and these line up a lot with the dates in the Beginner's Guide. Davey, real life Davey, starts posting to the source forums in 2008, around the start of Coda's first game, right? He's on there, and he is possibly working on... A, the, the mod of Stanley Parable are getting there. I've read his posts. I went back and I read his posts. His questions are, how do I seamlessly transition from camera to gameplay? I'm trying to get timer to work on the HUD. You know, I want the timer to show up on the HUD, not on the texture. Uh, looking for some office props and decals. That was a post. You know, I, I need office props. It's like, I think you're working on Stanley Parable right now, or at least the mod. The Stanley Parable mod is released in 2011. July 2011. Coda's last game is June 2011. If you want to say these are the same person and there's a point where fame caused Coda to become Davy, I mean, there's your push your push pin on your red yarn corkboard right there, right? <laughs> like that really lines up well. Um, and so is that the point when he talks about Davy sharing Coda's work with the larger audience? Is that him uploading the Stanley Parable mod to the forum saying, hey guys, here's the thing I've been working on. Um, shortly after the mod's release, uh, William Pooh, I don't really have to say his last name, it's P-U-G-H, joins Davy to work on the full release. So uh, William and Davy uh, are the two developers behind the Stanley Parable. A lot of people just put Davy's name to it the game that we played um, was both William and David. Stanley Parable comes out 2013, uh, released on Steam. Uh, end of 2013, 
Real Life Davey writes this comic and he never posts it. Okay, he does post a comic later. I don't know if you read the comic. It's not really a comic. It's just more of a long sketch with notes and, and things. But it's called Game of the Year. And one of the things on here, he puts a blog post down here, but um, the thing that I, I'm calling out that really captures what all this was about and where he was at, because he said he was in a depression at this point. Uh, people don't just play your game and then shut up. They, they'll come back to you in force and really let you know how it made them feel. The vast majority of response to Sterling Parable was extremely positive. Some of it was also extremely negative. I had emails from people who told me I had forever changed the way they saw the world. Emails from people who wanted me to know I was a spineless coward who should hate himself. Emails from people asking me for advice for, and for tech support and who want to look at their own work and just talk about what they've been up to. Emails from fans and journalists asking over and over and over and over where the idea came from. Until those answers to those questions simply became stock and lost all meaning to me. Um, and even I began to lose track of where they came from myself. Thousands of people asking you to carry around some amount of weight from, for them. To hear them. To talk to them. To let them know that the things uh, are going to be okay. Not to turn away. Those are people asking him these things. I tried, I did the best I knew how, but after a certain point, the many little requests added up and their collective weight broke my back. I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't talk to more people. I couldn't continue to use other people's opinions of myself to feel good about myself and my work. Every time I turned on someone else's opinion of the game, I felt less sure of my own opinions of it. I began to forget why I liked the game. I was losing the thing I had created. The this is things that David wrote end of 2013. We haven't started or begun working on the beginner's guide, right? So there is obviously a lot of real-life Davy and fictional Davy um, and fictional code to some point. There it is kind of brings up that the thing I was saying about, like, something can be not factual but true. Like, yes. this may not have been exactly the, the thing he went through, but it gives a good idea of what that felt like. March, 24, uh, March 2014, so this is a couple months after he did the comic. Um, but I don't think he made the post yet. Uh, no, February 2014, he makes the post. So he wrote the comic in the 2013 February. He does it March 2014. There's a rock, paper, shotgun interview uh, where William is there. And a notable thing in this er interview is there is a friction between William and Davey. And a lot of it is based around the resentment William has. And I'm projecting a little bit into the interview because uh, they're both kind of laughing it off and like, hey, I wish it would be there. But it seems like it hurts William more than it hurts Davy. is the fact that no one mentions William in the Stanley Parable. He is still an unknown, you know, like he has a new game out, by the way. He had a game come out right around the time of the Beginner's Guide. And he even marketed it from co-creator of the Stanley Parable. But... What is the game? Exactly. Because I, I feel like I need to go look I've at this. I've forgotten it. I think it's called uh, Dr. The Doctor Something Something, the Cursed Emerald and the World. The world, the world yeah, uh, I think. The, t the Tiger and the World Run Heist. Or something. Yeah. And it is not a deep, introspective, reflective game. Right. It is like, hey, I'm an artist, video game maker. Here's another video game with mechanics and things like that. So it's not like there's meaning behind it. Um, but obviously launching his game compared to launching the beginner's guide, Davy's getting a huge boost in recognition that William didn't pick up on. Um, 
And Williams does do a lot more than just art. He is responsible for several of the design moments in the game, several of the scenes that people come up and they're like, oh, wow, that's moment that, you know, with the timer and the baby and all that, and iconic. I don't know if that's Williams, but like, there's several of those he talks about. Like, that was completely Williams' idea and, and honed and, and did all that. So it was, it's not like he's in that 50%, even though the mod was 100% Davy. So the Stanley Parable base idea mob is 100% Stanley. It's pretty much 50-50 to the game. Um, 2015, October 2015, The Beginner's Guide released. October 2015, Robert Yang, not 100% seriously, but posts speculation that he is Coda and puts his information as to why it is. Now, um, one is, and the thing that set him off is, he was a tester on The Beginner's Guide, so he played early versions of it. But of course, in the final version, it comes up and it says 4R, the very end. Like, well, I'm an R. I don't think I'm a significant R. I didn't think I would be, but I started like going through my life, and maybe it is. Now, if you don't know Robert Yang, uh, you probably do, because he is the... Um, trying to do this in the most PG way known. He's a developer known for male nudity in his games and the artistic light. So he did the uh, shower simulator where uh, you're one man soaping down another man in the shower. Um, he's done the one where you're taking pics of a certain body part and, and do all that. You, you've probably heard of these because they come up when he does these games, but he's focused a lot on that. But they're never like... Uh, done. There's an artistic merit to his games, but they're weird little. They're weird games little things. That, they're weird yeah. little vignettes, and they're done basically to deal with some of you know societal conceptions of male nudity and things like that, and just sort of like you know, if this is a, a woman, it, no one would say a word. But because you know, here, and I'm just putting this little game out there to spark the conversation. But it's a little game, and that's what he's known for. He hasn't had major commercial success. Um, so working, one interesting thing in the article was the working title for the beginner's guy was called The Author. So if that doesn't start to like dial in what may be going through the intent, like that's sort of like, okay, wait a minute. That sort of changes like how you might view the game when you go like, the game is called The Author. Um, I thought that was worth noting. Uh, the game is made in source one point accurate, 1.0 and is accurate for the 2008 mod scene. I would never have known this if I didn't read Robert's article, because Robert was also in the forums the same time as Davey. And uh, there's another developer, too, that uh, I've lost um, his name. There's, there's like a handful of developers that Robert mentions, and they've all gone on to have very successful games, and Robert is the one who hasn't. Okay? If you look at, like, hey, back in this era of XNA, these were the developers doing it, and, hey, this is the developer I thought his games were good, but... He never really broke out. Like, say, Luke Schneider of Radiant Games. Like, he was putting out really good bullet shooters, but never really had, like, a Cthulhu Saves the World super breakout type thing. And, like, uh, Ben Kane, who, who did the um, DLC quest, is also the guy who did uh, Don't Stop, Keep Talking, which is huge right now with the VR world and everything like that. Now, this, do, this almost makes it sound like if we saw a game that someone made about the 2008 it was clearly the 2008 XNA scene, like yes. how we would respond. Like, even if we weren't in it, it was like, ooh, I remember. Kind of like seeing Cornflower Blue. Yeah, like you're. Like you did it in Unity, but 
we know that color, man. Yeah, we know what you're going for. You you're know? getting into something that is personal, even if you're not the people in it. You, you're part of that um, scene. So the I do remember that there was one point in the game where you do go into a house, and they do say, yes, this was developed in the Source Engine. And I thought that was kind of like breaking yeah. the fourth wall. It's like, oh, yeah, well, with the Source Engine, you can make longer hallways and these technical things that you can do with it. But not only that, it's period accurate to the dates. Um, and one thing that uh, Robert comments on is the combination puzzle. Okay, we're at the end where he just gives you the code. Just here, here are the numbers, this is the code. That is insane because you don't really have the scripting tools in Source 1.0 to do that. And Robert has opened up the game in the Source Engine to look at it, and it's an insane number of objects and things to make that work. It's the kind of thing a modder does to impress other modders. And that Rob, or that um, that's another reason of like MI four R because no one's going to know this except somebody who was in two thousand eight modding Source one point Like this is not going to be knowledge to anyone else uh, that you did that. So um, Robert also discusses there's a game uh, that he made. So the idea of like, would you make a game for someone else and never tell them the game was for them? Directly. Never come out and just say, hey, Robert, this game is, you inspired me a lot. Your, your things that were going on deeply influenced that. Just never tell Just never tell that. And the thing is, is that Robert made that game. He's like, I have a game that I made that never told the person who it was about because it was a relationship breakup. Okay. But he basically made a game of the apartments they lived together in and was sort of like reliving living in that apartment. Hey, does that not sound like an episode in the beginner's guide of living in a comfy space with someone, you know? Is that something that they, that Davey would have known that he had made something? I think he says in the else. article that that, he, that came up of like, hey, yeah, I have um, you know, beers and, and stuff like that and talking like, yeah, I made this game. Never showed, never told a person it was actually about them, but released the game to a wide audience. You know, posted on the forums. So he, he's tongue in cheek, and he's like, "Hey, I'm not 100% serious with this. It's just that I saw that for our got me thinking. I'm writing this post to get it out of my head, and I can move on with my life. Even if he's more not. than I believe, I'm actually the R that is for R. But it did give me some insights into like the name and things like that. So even if he's not, he's really close to it. So that's my background. That's just laying out background. My notes on playing the beginner's guide. Um, when I read other people's interpretations and listen to other interpretations, they can almost fit into three broad buckets of like where you sort of settle out on the game. And I don't know that necessarily any bucket's better than the other bucket. Like it's almost a genius I love about the game is as I go back to it and I go, which bucket? Can I find the evidence that cancels one and points to the other two? Or, you know, like, ah, it can't be that answer because this. It never happens. And it's almost like, did, did Davey intend for there be multiple interpretations and then make sure he didn't do anything in the game to block a particular interpretation 
so that they're all three valid. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Pulp Fiction. It's like, oh, what's yes. in the briefcase? What's the golden thing in the briefcase? And some people say it's Marcellus's Waltz's soul, or it's golden bars, or some treasure. Yeah. And I think when or Tarantino it's from came, Reservoir Dogs, it's a suitcase from Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, it's my favorite theory. I think Tarantino just said, yeah, it's whatever you want it to it's be. It's whatever you want it to <laughs> be. May or may not be factual. Still so is it's true. true. <laughs> yes. um, okay, so those are uh, the story is meant to serve as a warning against assuming you know the creator on a personal level from experiencing their work. Okay, and that one seems pretty straightforward to to go through an interpretation and say like, hey, don't assume a personal connection with someone because you play their game, and that's happening a lot in our internet culture right now. I mean, when people get angry, they're not angry like, hey, this game wasn't great. They get angry at a creator. I mean, Notch is definitely a target for this, uh, and it's one of the reasons he stepped away from doing Minecraft because it's just like, I just don't want to be that guy anymore. I just don't want to be the guy that has ruined your life because something I did in Minecraft, and I don't even want to hear it anymore, you know? Um, the second bucket here uh, is the tale confession of an unhealthy relationship in which Davey may be stalking Coda. Now, this one, we didn't mention here, none of us came to this interpretation, um, and it, it has come up in, in various things, and as I've like gone back and looked at it, I'm like, it actually kind of holds up. Uh, one, one really key scene that's sort of like, are you stalking someone is the woman in the prison house, right? There was a scene where you go back to the house with the bars that you had played so many times. Like you played all the iterations that Coda made and eventually the last iteration had no prison. You see later that scene and a woman sitting on the couch crying. You kind of walk up to it and it cuts away from it. I don't have a good answer for that other than it's sort of supporting like, wait, what if Coda is female, okay? There's, there's nothing like one way or the other to nail you down on this, okay, uh, in the game. And then all of a sudden, like, if you took at that, and then, like, this is a breakup. This is, you know, like, a metaphor for a breakup. Not literally, but, like, hey, this is sort of like a bad breakup. It can fit. It need not be stalking, though. Like, it's just an unhealthy relationship, whatever, to, to whatever extent that takes stalking, out. but post- I have ended a friendship or relationship with you, and yeah. you are still around. Like, yeah. a little, like, let go, you know? Because yeah. Coda definitely at the end is like, let go. Leave yeah. me alone. Um, so, and then the last one uh, here is sort of the, the Davy and Cody are the same person or both a fictional representation of a person. Uh, and that specifically Coda might be an earlier version of Davy uh, or somebody that Davy wants to go back being. Uh, and this is the one I put a, most of my weight to, and so it's sort of like a lens from which I go back and look at events more often than not, of like, if I'm looking at it this way, uh, in that view too, this is where Davy is the unreliable narrator. I cannot trust what Davy is saying. Davy is, is lying to me, um, or Davy is importing his meaning into things. These are not what Coda meant, and so I have to go through the game again, shut Davy out, look at it again and go, what are the other interpretations of this moment? So um, I also think this version is the one that will fit most to the title, The Beginner's Guide and the Author. Um, so that's kind of why I sit on it more. I can fit the levels into it. So I'm going to go through some of them fast, some of them slow. But you start out on the ship, and one of the things I noticed on the ship is it's really good level design. The use of lighting and texturing path you through the ship without you really thinking about it. Like, pretty much everybody will go 
to the rocks that have caved in on the one side because it's lit. That's the path you pick in that choice. And I, I also I found it hilarious because you did the Stanley parable and it was based on coming up to a thing with two paths and Stanley went left and the light is on the left, you know, in that moment. I don't know if that's a callback. I just found that amusing. Um, but that is sort of the thing of like, okay, these are not a real life coda. These are not, um, these levels are designed irrespective of skill and learning because there's way too much skill in those first levels. The white stripe at the bottom of the textures lets you get through the maze. If that wasn't there, it would be nearly impossible to determine what was walls or not, but that little bit gives you the perspective and seeing where the corners are intuitively that shows like you really know level design and that's not a first game, okay? That is not a first or second game. Uh, Davy enforces an interpretation right from the beginning. And he says, the maze puzzle makes no sense and skips it. The maze puzzle makes no sense to Davy. It made sense to Coda. Coda put it in. Davy skipped it, not Coda. So that's like sort of the first bits of unreliable narrator. Um, Davy also assumes the beam floating was a bug. He tells you the story of like, hey, Coda put the beam and you're supposed to go into it and die because that's what the story said. But instead... This weird floaty thing happens. Yeah, I looked at that and said, there is no way that is a bug. Like, From how does that even standpoint? happen? Yeah. Uh, um, and while Davy is explaining the bug and the skipping the maze, he actually talks about it's wrong to assume meaning. You know, just by playing the game. It's wrong to just play a game and just assume meaning. And then in the next breath gives you the meaning to the beam and the events. And so it's like one of those things like on the second time through, you're like, man, I really missed that one. Like that was pretty, really obvious. You hit the backwards level. Um, and then, the, so here's where I think, and I don't know if I can do this to every level, but I try to look at each level and go, is there a parable? Is there a Bible style moral or parable that the level is meant to teach. A beginner's guide. It's a guide. Okay, I'm, I'm teaching you something. There's something to learn here by Coda. Coda has written something to learn. Davy's interfering with my learning. So I'm going to put Davy aside. And the possible lesson in the backwards uh, thing, and again, I'm assuming this is a beginner's guide for a creator or a video game designer, somebody, an artist, okay, uh, is the audience, is that you move forward you progress by looking at the things you have done, okay? So when you're working on your game, you know what you can do, you know what you have done, and you are actually walking backwards making your game because you don't know what you're creating until you create it and step past it, you know? Um, and I thought that was a really good way to do this. And the thing is, is that every time you stop looking back and you look forward, the future is different, right? Um, and it's not necessarily negative. Like, your game is not going to go down a path you can see. Your creation is not going to be, you can't stand at the beginning and look at the end and go, okay, that's the thing I'm going to make and it's going to be great. No, you're going to turn around and start walking backwards and then hit a wall. And then when you turn around and go, why is there a wall there? And you turn around and look again, now there's no wall there. Wait a minute, you know? Um, that's what happens in that level. Uh, Davy's very dismissive of that game as simple. 
and it's actually pretty clever and complex of an idea. And it's pulled off in just such a way of the notes on the wall get you to turn and look at the right place at the right time so that when you turn back, a side shaft is opened or something. So you're kind of saying, like, whenever you go out and make a game, it's usually not the game that you intended to make when you right. initially start. Because I, I run into that all the time. I just keep adding stuff, and it, it comes yeah. out to be something. I didn't think I... I thought I could do something better than I could, exactly. and I have to work around it. Yeah. The next level, staircase and idea level, this is the one where if you go to the edge, he says there's nothing out here to look at. Um, I've read on the web. I forget how to do it. There's actually a way to go out there and look out and see the crying woman from that stage. So it's weird that Davey says, hey, there's nothing out here, but there's something out there to look at. Um, I don't have meaning. This one is one I haven't really published Wait, which out. Which one's the edge? It's the staircase. The staircase, where you go up the stairs and you slow down. Oh. Then Davey oh. gives you a button to just skip it and go to the top. Um, and I think what's happening here is Davey's trying to give you a shortcut to success. Davey's trying to like, hey, just cheat it, and you get to the top. You get up. Success. Success is up, right? There's no shortcut. It bogs down, and game development, creation gets really slow. It starts out fun. Starts out, they're moving, things are coming, and then you hit a point where you have a lot of content to create and a lot of things to design and systems to debug that aren't necessarily interesting and they don't even feel like creation. You just feel like you're just getting things moving, but you're not artistically creating anymore. And then you get to the top Goal of success. So getting slower and slower to get there, the higher you get. The higher you get, the harder it gets. Davyism. Fictional Davy isn't interested in that. The fictional Davy thinks you can just skip it. The the journey doesn't matter. The destination does. Um, I I am not 100 on this complete interpretation because you need to the top is this idea room. Although I've said this several times, if you get into game development and you say like oh, I don't have any ideas, I like start making a game. You'll have a million, and that may be what it is. Is like once you start creating, you just nonstop have ideas. You know, they just start flowing. Uh, they become a detriment and not an advantage. Um, so, the first uh, puzzle door level comes after that one. Davey mentions you'll see it a lot. And when he says the things, you'll see this a lot. I've played this several times. You're very likely looking at three dots. Because it's after you open the door and solve the puzzle and you step through. And the thing you see is the three dots on the wall that are almost in every level of the game. Are those three dots? You know, there's just two at uh, one level, so it's like a, a dot up, down, and up. And there's those three dots. And it's interesting that Davey says you'll see this a lot, talking about the puzzle, while you're pretty certain going to be looking at three dots on the wall. That's genius level move. Like it's stepping out, all meaning of the game, just Davey reading as level designer. That's awesome because it's like you stop listening to Davey and you're like, what is the three dots on the wall? You go up to it, you click it, you try. I don't know. That's weird. And he's just setting you up to see it again. And then you're like, I know there's something with these three dots. Because I saw these three dots again. Davey's not talking about the three dots. I think maybe the three dots are to get you to start looking for meaning beyond what Davey is saying. Because Davey never talks about the three dots. He made one comment about it. That No, no, there's a comment in the, um, the chat game. Is that the chat That's game? like, what are the three dots? Okay. You know, or something. 
uh, if you go through and I've read all of them. There was something somewhere that said something about the three dots. And yeah, it's not Davy. Davy didn't say it, but there is writing text about the three dots to help you find it. And then there's one that says the painting is just dot, just looks like dot. From here, it just looks like dots. I think it, that comment is talking about the dots. From here, it just looks like dots. But maybe from like another perspective, it look, it's totally something else. From here, it just looks like dots. In that painting level, which comes up, so I'm, I'll skip through some of that. But yes, that's sort of like, you get up close to that painting, and there's a bunch of dots. You step away from that painting, and you can start to see some art. And that's just sort of like a metaphor, too, for like, when you're really close to the work, it just looks like dots. It doesn't look like a game anymore. You're, you're in the weeds. You know, you got to step back, unplug, take some time away, get back, get a fresh perspective to see it as a game. I wonder if the dots are like analogous to like lines of code. You look at lines of code, and it's nothing to someone who doesn't know what code is. But once you run it through a compiler, it makes a beautiful game. Um... Davey has a nice uh, line, I think, that the uh, role of the player is not necessarily to understand. Most of the time, you don't get to know what you're missing, or even that you're missing anything, but that's not your role as the player. Uh, and I, it's just an interesting, like, I don't have a direct interpretation. It's something I just, like, chew on for a bit, of, like, as a designer, I can put things in my game I don't expect players to find, even. And it's not the role of the player to have to find everything. Um, one of the reasons I like the Dark Souls games is they will put immense, beautiful, wonderful, hours-long amounts of content behind a weird edge corner of the map and two illusionary walls that you have to find to get to it. And it sort of is cool because most companies won't do that. They're like, if we put that much effort into that much content, put a light on it and, and show the way. But the experience of playing Dark Souls is finding that, and it's like, I have found something amazing and secret that is off the path and connects to nothing and I could have missed. And so I'm going to play again and beat on every wall, you know, like you used to do in Wolfenstein. I made a note of that that quote, too, when I was going through. And, and the thing I thought was interesting, he goes, he's talking about that, he goes, if your role here is not to understand, then what is it? And I'm like, well, especially in simple early games, not every design choice is aimed at controlling the player's experience. Correct. Right after he says that, you get the exiting level. Now exiting, right? Where Coda yeah. says, like, hey, all the levels are connected because of this. Like, wait, didn't we just say our role is not to understand and, like, know the bigger meaning? And then, like, the next thing you do is say, like, all that. Um, possible the exiting is a moment of, of, of Coda or your progression of, I'm getting serious. I want to sell my game. I want to show my game. I'm getting serious in that I want other people playing it. I no longer am just making it for me. And then so it might be that, like, that chapter is closing and you're opening a new one because now I'm going to try to make something for someone else, not just me, um, is, is sort of the mark I think that makes. The housing and the falling level. I love this level. I, I love uh, the house and, and falling. Um, so... This is the, the house where he talks about the source engine. The this coffee is the, shop? The, uh, yeah, the little, what, what, it's like a cafe. It's a coffee shop, I think. Yeah, like a coffee shop or something. Surrounded by white. <laughs> First of all, I love the level design because it's a clean white room. That floor's not level. I don't know if you noticed or not. Oh, oh, you start oh, oh. on a ramp and come down, and it's invisible because oh, yeah. it's all white. 
but it creates a very dramatic entrance for the camera angle on the house. Like it creates this like looming growing house. This is a great camera technique uh, I know about there. This is where he's talking about the source engine and long boxy corridors while not showing long boxy corridors. And it's almost like Davy is telling you your tools shape your creation while showing you somebody breaking the limits of the tool that there are no limits, they're self-imposed. Like, I think that's intended to notice that because you go into that area where you're falling in this massive staircase down. Like, there's no long boxy corridor here. You jump on the platforms, it's like a platformer. Turned into a 3D platform all of a sudden. And you can drop down or you can just, like, uh, just drop all the way down. Or fall. I think most people end up falling at some point. They miss a jump. I did. Um, and fall. There's no harm to falling. Um, yeah, not be trapped, your limits. So, in the prison area, there's a conversation that Davy is having where all games should be playable. And I think when Coda sends him the file of 50 games, which are all single-room games with nothing in them, and he's titled it Playable Games, I think the thing is what Coda is saying where Davy thinks he's like, ah, he's just trolling me. What Coda, fictional Coda, is saying here, what the lesson here is, what does that even mean? Which is sort of the larger thing of, what is a game? Yeah. Like, what does it mean to be playable? Define playable. It's really hard to do. That almost comes off as the, the fact that, you know, people tend to go, if, if, and this doesn't just apply to games, if they see something they don't like, oh, this is a bad game. No, this is a game that's bad at doing something. Maybe a game that's bad at doing what you want it to do, but, you know. I also think that um, Coda, Fixed Coda, might see all his games as playable. These are all playable games. I have not made any unplayable games. But you're adding meaning that I'm not, and you're trying to shape it into convention that I'm not. And you know, I, think, I think as a designer, just take a lesson from that of... Um, don't necessarily do you have to conform to conventional wisdom on what a platformer is, what this is. Um, just because you decide not to add double jump does not mean your platformer is unplayable. I think the, the caveat to that is have a reason. You know, if you're breaking conventional wisdom. It's um, like my mower game. It didn't have a score. It didn't have a point necessarily. But it was, you know, people thought it was hilarious that you... It was a lot like driving a mower. <laughs> it reminds me of like the original Bionic Commando for the NES. It didn't have jump, and that drove some people crazy, but that's what made the Bionic arm work, because you couldn't jump. You could only use it to swing. So when they did the remake, they did the, the Doom remake in the same style, then it still irritated people. So they eventually threw They threw in the jump, in. and I'm like, oh, come I was like, on, oh, guys. you ruined it. You ruined it. You ruined it. <laughs> Not supposed to have jump. Um, the conversation bots... So when you get at the end of the prison level, then you go down the staircase a bit, and you get the first two sets of, of conversation bots. Is what I'm calling the guys with the speak, listen on their heads. Which, again, I love that art style and that concept. Um, the first set are obsessed with beating the game, really. How did you do it? How did you get past the door? What buttons did you press? Did you do it? And the second set don't care. They're like, what was the meaning? What was the intent? What was the purpose? And it almost felt like... These are forum threads that you will find on your game. You're going to have the people who are like, how did you get through it? How did you solve it? How did you beat it? What's your runtime? Speed run the game, you know, blah, blah, blah. And the other people are going like, what's it mean? 
You know, like, I don't care about the speed run of the time. Like, what's the deeper meaning and all of that? Um, that was the point at which I remember him talking about, I'm going to talk about my interpretation, just like, of, of the puzzle. It's like, people just have patterns that they're comfortable with. It doesn't have to be. And I think the lesson there is that different players are looking for different things in the game. In the same game. Somebody can be looking for a deep narrative meaning in Braid, and somebody could be there because it's a really good puzzle platformer and time-shifting mechanics are really cool. And whatever this text is, I don't care. And that will happen in the same game, and they'll see it completely different. And that's the lesson as a designer, is to respect that, that somebody's going to have these things, and you're going to have a different perspective from them. Um, of course, to note, that's the first lamppost level as well. Right? We know that Davy is adding them. And so I wonder if you're going in the Davy is Coda, Coda is Davy, if that sort of is the mark of the transition of one person to the other, of, of becoming the different person. Like this, this, character, this designer is now becoming this Davy character. And that's why the lampposts appear. But you could also spiral down and say that you know, maybe Davy added that, those comments to that final level from emails or something else. If he did, he's a psychopath at that point. That's, <laughs> I mean, that, yeah. you could really spiral it out you of could. control. You could. Like, that'd, be a, that'd be cool to think of that that way, that he's actually split personality coda and, and writing that stuff to himself or something. That goes back to my skit, Stanley Kubrick and the shiny Yeah. Board. All work and no play, make Jack. Yeah, could throw a boy. Throw a boy written on the walls. Um, the notes level. Is one of the little notes everywhere in the painting that we already talk about. Dave assumes that Coda wrote those notes himself. If you go back and read those notes without Davy's input, those are very common things that would be said about a game that doesn't fit the norm. These might be, if let's say Coda was sharing his stuff on a forum, if Coda was going to a trade show and letting people play his game, some people get it, and some people are like, what's the point here? I'm just walking around. Why is there a door here you can't open? This makes no sense, you know? And these notes may have been written by Coda himself, technically. But Coda is just putting in all the comments that he has heard on his game. The weird thing I noticed with him, there are some that are just, like, obviously written to be disturbed comments. And there are awfully a lot of, I don't get this puzzle comments around what is basically a simple puzzle. Right. Which are things that you might hear. You might hear people who come up, don't immediately figure it out, get frustrated, and blame the developer. You know, and that's what those notes might be. And you can look at that level pretty much as Coda. Might be just having like a tongue-in-cheek laugh at everybody here that's leaving these notes. Like, when you put them all down like this, they don't sound as good anymore, do they? Not just that. If you go around through all the notes, I there did. are some very, very <laughs> obvious cry for help notes. And that's why I was at first thinking the game's just going to beat me over the head with something. And some of those notes you can almost read sarcastically, too. Like, hey, I'm in this game supposed to have deeper meaning, so I'm writing a sarcastic, deeper meaning note here. Yeah. Um, but, uh... And I like how Davey tells you, don't worry about the notes. Don't bother reading them. There's no point. But... That's part of the story is if you read the notes. Nothing happened, I can tell you, if you hit every note. I can guarantee you he's right on that one. Um, yeah, I read like, the first three notes. I heard him say, yeah, this doesn't mean anything. I'm looking for the exit. <laughs> well, there were notes that were unreachable. There too. are unreachable notes, yeah. Um, I don't know if I was able to somehow hack the game, go over there, if they would actually have text behind them. They may. I don't know. Uh, that would be wild. So 
Davey also mentions this is the first time that he met Coda during this game, which again doubles down like, well, he talks about like meeting them directly or indirectly. That means this might have been the first game he is showing off, and these are the notes of people, what they were saying on the game. It was the feedback he was getting about this game that he was showing off. Um, he does make the comment, he was inviting me personally into his world. Like, these notes were personally inviting me into his world. So it's like, wait a minute. First of all, i got a whole separate thing where these aren't even Coda's words. These were other people's words going in, but you've assumed they're Coda's words, and now you've assumed they're an invitation into Coda's world, and that invitation never got extended, right? Um, so I, I do love the narrative design. I think it's one of the great multiple interpretation stages that you can go through and have multiple interpretations on the same thing, and none of them really get ruled out by anything. Uh, that's really what I played most of. I was trying to rule out theories, and I've, I've failed at doing that so many times. Um, well, the comments, too, had, the, had three dots on all of them. They did, but they're not in the shape. Yeah, but they're still three dots. I know. <laughs> hey, I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. They're not in the shape, but they are the three dots. Um, so you end with a room of typing machines. And I think this sort of doubles down on the notes are written by other people. And that typing machines is press or forums or just internet. Tons of people at keyboards typing ideas and thoughts and interpretations of your thing all the time. But I also felt when you saw that, like, that's not a beginner type of thing, having that. Oh, having typewriter. that size typewriters of and the, the detail in that typewriter and the amount of typewriters and that, like, that's not a, a novice okay, yeah. construct. It reminded me of that old saying is like, if you have an infinite number of typewriters and an infinite number of monkeys banging on them, you'll generate all of the works of Shakespeare and everything. Then that might not be something that he's not going for there either of like, Everything will be said about your game. Everything will be said about it. All possible things that we said about it, right, wrong, basis, no basis, are going to be said about it. You got to take that in. You, as a developer, you got to know that that's going to happen and adjust that when you decide to read these comments, when you decide to go down that path and read it, which I think is a lot of where Davey, real life Davey, in his I'm depressed and this is what I went through after the Stanley Peril because everybody kept putting on the game of the year as the most significant thing that has happened to the medium and I don't feel that personally it was like you needed to stop reading is what you needed to do you needed to just step away like oh yeah that's the thing I made yeah cool you played it great and then disconnect and he didn't do that um, and it's possibly a lesson that he's trying to impart of you have to disconnect you have to you can't read every comment and internalize it. It will destroy you. Um, so, and that's the last thing I wrote. Like, possible lesson not to get caught up in the feedback, especially when you're on the internet and there is anonymous ways and zero effort ways for people to give negative, spiteful things that they wouldn't say to you in person. They wouldn't say to you if they were in a social construct where, dude, that's a little rude. They might say, I didn't like it, but they would say it in a much more constructive, nicer way, um, rather than the things that would get written on the internet. So, control. Uh, the prison in the house. Um, this definitely hints of heavy Stanley Parable development because it's talking about this iterative, 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 iterative. Like he makes this prison room in this house and he has so many versions of it and none of them are right. And he thinks code is going down this, this 
crisis moment. Kona could just be iterating on an idea of if I tried to have the player get out of this room, what works? And there's all kinds of crazy things in here that happen to it. Um, I personally love the version of the room where they give you the instructions and then take away step one of the instructions. So you go in there, like, the first thing you have to do is turn this light on and on and off, then go do this switch, then do this, and that's how you escape. And then you go, all right, you go to the start, and now you get to escape, and there's no light switch to start the first step, you know? Like, I love there's that no as table. a joke and the humor. There's no table. The interesting thing I thought is, one of the things I realized, they kept talking about, oh, prison means something. It's like, dude, he's trying to do high art. Like, using a prison motif isn't that weird. It obviously symbolizes. <laughs> the level ends with being in the phone booth and talking to the person stuck in the prison when you're out of the prison, like a rewind. And they want to know how to get out. Like, what did you do to get out and all that? And then you can't tell them. The option is not there. It's taken away from you. And I think, again, back to the, there might be a lesson or something to get from each one of these chapters is you're going to have to iterate on your design. You're going to have to take a concept and, and try it and try it and change it and try it and change it to get the one that works, which may look nothing like the concept or where you started again. And I'm sorry, I can't tell you how to get there. Like, I can't tell you when you're in the middle of it, the next one is the one that solves it. Or the next one, three months from now, is the one that solves it. You have no vision to the future. You can't, you just got to be in there. And, and there is some reaffirming text that you can pick in there and change. It's just like, just trust it. Just keep doing it and trust it and you'll get out. And that sort of... The reaffirming coda of saying, hey, just stick with it, man. Stick with it, and you're, you're going to get there. It doesn't seem like it now. I get that. Stick to it, and, and you will come out with a good game, or you will come out with a game that you're happy over, feel like you can move on, but it's not going to happen if you stop. If you stop, then you'll never get out of prison. You're not even trying anymore. The next level, oh, man, do I love the house cleaning level, too? Like, that's just a beautiful... The quality of art visually jumps up on the house cleaning level, okay? Dave even, I think, points this out in the dialogue a little bit. Like, the art jumps up. The date lines up when William joined Davey and working on the Stanley Parable and William's background as a graphic artist. Again, I'm not pushing the pins in the corkboard, but if you were, there's a pretty good, the dates line up with the real-world events. Davey gets an artist that's the same date that Coda's art improves. Um, and I think that actually has a significance here. Um, a friend dragged me along uh, is one of the things that the conversation bot says in the house. And I think that might be a reference to Davy working with William, where William saw the Stanley parable and he was sort of the one that reached out. And it, this is truth said like, hey, we should like, I want to work with you and like, let's make this a game. So there's a friend dragging me along a little bit. You, you wouldn't say? Yeah, I, I just, you know, thinking about your whole timeline thing, it just struck, you know, really the game starts making a mod. You know, his first little level was, this is a mod, you know, uh, to something else that was not necessarily playable. Counter-Strike, yeah, the first and, game. Yeah, and uh, he was like, 
you know, he never released it. He never showed it to anybody. He just made it and put some elements in it. And he's like, you'll see these elements later, but you don't really see them a lot later. Like, they're not, not prevalent. No, it's hard to connect that one later. And, and the coloring, where he's like, well, this is weird cube in the sky. And look at this odd texture here. Those seem like errors you make when you're trying to make a Counter-Strike level. Like, not by intent, but by accident. Yeah. This entire wall is blue. Why is this cube yellow? I thought it was going to be a crate. You know, like that's what the first level struck to me. I didn't write this down because I'm not strong on this opinion, but. But then you, you know, you, you relate it in about Davy's life, real Davy. Oh, right. Doing a mod first and then working through this and coming in. You know, it just. The narrative like, fits. It just yeah. spiked a, a little thought there that, you know, we had talked about him making a mod first and then bringing on the guy and, you know. One of the conversations, and I forget who can say this, you or the the, the house guest that's, or that's asking you to clean things. Uh, it never felt so good doing something for money. Not in the game, of course, we're talking about cleaning a house for money. But if you're looking at it as from mod to game to sell game, sold game, you're like, wait a minute, I can make games for a living. This feels great. This is living the dream, you know? It's a very warm setting, too. Like, it's very comfortable. The outside is cold and dark, and inside the house, it's warm and comfortable. Davy says he ends the level, but Coda's version never ended, okay? And I think that a way of looking at the tasks, because they start to loop over themselves, is these can be the small things, fixing a bug, um, cleaning up this art asset, you know, testing this one area, fixing this collision. They feel like progress, and you can get stuck in a comfortable loop of doing those, but they're not real progress. Like, a bit of this is a warm, comfy trap of you're not challenging yourself right now. You're not out in the cold and adding the plot and the design elements that make your game what you want it to be. You're just iterating over the stuff you have. So I think one lesson of the loop is that, hey, that could be a trap. You need to break out of that trap and push your game forward. But the other thing I think is also here is it can be very comfortable to work with someone else, to go through this process together. You're not alone. Bring someone else on that can be motivating and comfortable. The iteration thing is interesting because there's something he says in a previous chapter where it's like, Davey, what was it? Um, Once he stopped working on a game, it was all dead to him, and I don't agree with that at all. It's like, there's got to be a point at which you ship. You know, a last thing he says in there, too, is your house is only difficult to clean as you are. If you find it work hard, maybe you have a bit of house cleaning to do before you come to work. And I, I can take that totally as a sharpen the saw type. Like, hey, at some point you stop and you learn how to do these techniques and you study game design and, and you read up on books and you read about how do I write code and things like that. Because you get to the point when you're in the game and you're just beating your head against the wall, you can just stop. Coming into work, coming into the game, work at home, learn, teach yourself what you need to know, and then go back to work. So, and that's your sign. Like, hey, this is getting really frustrating and hard. Maybe you need to stop and learn some basics that you don't understand yet, and then go back to the problem. The classroom level, I'm going to speed these up. The classroom level um, is pretty much the best level, design, art, whatever you want to call it of imposter syndrome I have ever seen. Because that is what I believe that level is to be. You, are, you start out in the audience, 
And then one day you're called upon to be the speaker. Davy, you made the game. How did you make the game? You must be genius. And you don't have the answers. You don't know. It's chaos. That's the background of, of everything going on in the background. The truth is, it's wild, chaos. I have no idea. You can't say those things. You just can't. Like society's like, no, 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 you're supposed to tell us what the answers are because there's somebody in the audience who was just like you who was listening, believing they were all the answers. Um, the, this ties in next well to the stage level that comes up next where you're on stage and you have to go talk to uh, this woman on stage. And now this can fit into the narrative of, hey, you're creepy, stalky, and like, hey, that's not the way it went, and there was this relationship, and I said the wrong things. You can also look at her as a peer, or maybe you look at her as a mentor at a conference. Hey, you ran into Warren Spector, right? You ran into um, Notch, Marcus Pearson. You want to ask him some questions. You want to have my game time. I really, I look up to you and I, I just want to have a good moment with you. And you stall on doing it, right? I think the bumpers can represent the crowd of a conference. Literally, you're people are bumping into you in the hallway while you're trying to have a conversation with somebody that you look up to and respect. I also think there's a bit of projection going on because if you look at the cubes labeled, they are happy, wise, focused, successful. You are projecting onto them everything other people are projecting onto you, which you just gave the talk that you don't feel qualified to give, right? This very much fits into like feeling like this is a reference to to real-life Davey and his experiences when he's standing up in front of GDC and giving talks about the Stanley Parable and things like that, of like, I don't feel like I have the answers, and then trying to talk to someone else, I don't feel qualified to even ask them the questions, and I feel fan and gushy. Um, and I think the lesson that Coda was getting at, where it starts like, hey, you backed away, and then the bars start coming down, is you're missing your opportunity. Like, if you wait and stall and try to make it perfect, they pick up, they finish lunch, they go on, and, and like, oh, I, w I had a chance to talk to John Romero because he sat at my table and I didn't say anything. And now, like, it's harder and harder for me to ever get back and have that conversation. Um, so, you know, maybe you embarrass yourself a little bit, but take a bit of a risk uh, is required. Uh, the ship crashing level, I think, is a metaphor for shipping the game. I think it's that, like, direct. The ship is shipping the game. The impending doom is the ship date. And like you can't get out until you admit the truth that you're stressed out. Like, you know, and that's what I think it is, is just to admit like it's coming down the wire and you're you're stressed out. Um and this is opposite of all of Davy's narration, by the way. You know, all of Davy's narration sort of leaves the talking about the levels at this point so much and and um He's like wanting things to be okay and just, you know, say it'll be okay and you know, I just want Coda to feel good and all of that. And I think Coda's message in the games is like, no, no, you got to admit you are stressed out. You can't handle it. You have to let that out. You don't bottle that up. You release it. You find some way to release it um, to get to the point where things are okay. You get the tree island level next. Um... I felt like that was a huge departure from the rest of the style. It does. Just, I didn't mean to interrupt necessarily, but... <laughs> it does have a big departure. Um, I think sort of the message here might be that um, you don't always see the whole path you're on, but if you focus, you can see the next step. 
might be Coda, what Coda is getting at, because you can only see the next island, but you can't see where you're going or what's going on from that. A lot of talk about a machine. But also following right along your path, once you ship the game, you're clear. Like you're in that white mist of unknown, you're out of the... That's true too, yeah. It might actually fit really well. I didn't even think that. <laughs> that is like a post-launch serene. I've launched, it's peaceful, but I have no idea what is... Oh wait, let me answer this forum post. Oh, there's a bug. Let me fix this bug. Like, it, I can see what I should do right now, maybe, but I have no idea where I'm going with this. Let me do this interview. Somebody asked for an interview. Let me do that. Uh, that fits really well, actually. Um, the machine they talk about could be the motiv motivation. Might be motivation to work on something. Might be what the machine starts on. Possible meaning of the door puzzle is a... I, I'm not solid on this, but I think, like, hey, maybe it's... An early success that you really liked. Like, I did this thing, and it worked. And it's, like, sort of the thing that I do. Like, I don't know maybe if this is exactly for you, Levi, but I'll project. I'll, I'll be a, a Davy for a second. <laughs> oh, okay. And say, like, putting your voice in your games. Yeah. You know, it's like a thing that you recur back to, and you do. It was successful. It worked. I like it. I feel good. And so, like, that's what the puzzle represents. Not so much, like, this exact puzzle, it's just representative of like that little bit of a signature of a thing that you like doing that makes you feel good about the work could be there. Um, David talks, Davey's now talking more about himself than Coda. This is where he starts like, I need this to stop. I need Coda to stop being self-destructive. I need it to, I need, and it's like Coda may not be self-destructive and you're using the word I a lot, you know, like that is coming up. You're, you're talking more about you. Uh, the machine level is the one that comes out next. Um, but in, and this one ends with you seeing the, the, the girl trapped in the prison house from the prison level earlier. No idea where to put that one in. I really don't have a good idea to slot that one in somewhere. Uh, the machine level could be a game designed to represent a mental breakdown. An actual, like, the machine is motivation, depression, it stopped. I'm having a breakdown. I'm having a moment. This is Real Life Davies 2013. Everybody is calling me Game of the Year, the best thing that has ever happened to gaming. I do not connect with this at all. Yeah, that is a separate person. You have to walk through the crowd of like reporters first and interviewers to get to the machine. And all their questions are loaded questions. When you look at them, none of those questions are, is everything okay? What's going on? They're all, what's wrong with it? Can it be fixed? You know, is, is you know, when, when do we get more? They're all expecting and demanding of something. None of them are more coping with somebody who might actually be in that situation. Um, the gears in the machine are referencing or very similar to the three dots. Don't know what it means. I'm out from that point. I'm just dropping that and then stepping away from it. But like the, the gears on the machine, there's a belt only on two of them. But it's like those... What the three dots? But then I have nothing to connect that to. But then, it, you know, maybe the whole point of the three dots is it doesn't have to have meaning. And I'm looking for a meaning that there is none, you know? And then um, that just sparks more, like, if, he's, if he is actually telling the meta story of creation of his work, you know, maybe he's telling you to quit looking for meaning in things that just are. <laughs> I promise to the podcast listeners, <laughs> I'm on my last page. <laughs> yeah. uh, Davey believes he can fix Coda. Based on wrong assumptions that Coda is exactly like him. So even if Coda is in a depressed situation, even if Coda is needing help or something like that, and he's not just doing it because 
Um, he just wanted to explore with that on the outside. The assumptions that Davy is making is that, hey, you're just like me, and the things that would pick me up, I'm going to do because they would pick you up, which is giving away the, the beginner's guide to everyone, right? Uh, you get the tower level. Uh, this is where Davy really sets up the unreliable narrator to um, hit the second play for, playthrough. I think there's a heavy metaphor in, in this level coming through. You, you start with that invisible maze where Davy cheats and lets you like have a bridge that goes across it. But I very much think that's a callback to saying, hey, you cannot see the path and mistakes may make you feel like you're getting nowhere. You bump a wall and you start back over. But in truth, you've learned where that wall is and can now navigate around it. And it's just a series of learning what I have to navigate to could be a metaphor for the game design process of these are the things that didn't work, but I'm finding the things that are by finding the things that don't. But the fact they're invisible walls means you could make the same mistakes again. You could make the same mistakes again if you're not paying attention, if you're not learning from your mistakes, you're doomed to repeat them. Um, the combination lock comes up and then David gives you the code. I think this is a commentary that a portion, because there's no way for you to ever solve this in game without David giving you the code. There is none. I think they actually say that. He says that, but I actually think the game is that. Like, there is not a, oh, wait, if you took the number from the fifth level and put it in this way, you would, no, I don't think it's there. I think that the real commentary here, maybe not the real commentary, it's bad to use in this game description. I think the commentary, the parable here, is that there is an element of luck to success. To move on to the tower, you're going to have to get lucky at some point. There is an element of luck that, sorry, it just exists. It would have taken a huge amount of grinding to grind out that number. Or, yeah, and then grinding, and that's the thing. The more you grind, the more combinations that you try that don't work, the odds of you hitting the right one go up. The more you grind, the more you put things out there, the odds of you getting a game that breaks through go up. Um... But it is a grind. It is some luck as a component. You may hit it in the first try, and you may hit it on the 30th try. Uh, the pit. So after that moment, you go up and then fall into a pit, fall into a little room that you cannot get out of. There is no exit. Davy's all irritated about this. Like, why would you even have that? I'll have to deal with it. Yeah, we're running out of time on the camera. Um, the... Uh, the thing here is that um, you need Davy to unlock that door. And I think what that saying is you need help to get to this process. You're not going to do it alone. doesn't say exactly what the help has to be. It doesn't have to be another game designer. It could just be an emotional outlet. It could just be a friend that helps you de-stress, you know. But help. You need help. You're going to get trapped in this pit. Find help. Find a connection to somebody and that helps you move on. Last is the notes from Coda. Um, this is where we get to stop adding uh, lamp posts. Um, this shows you that the designer uh, um, and the player have a connection, even though you've never met. You know, because obviously there's a lot of in implied notes that they haven't met. Um, Death of the author we talked about. Um, there's a low point to part of the process. You know, so like this whole like, hey, you think I'm depressed? Do you think because I made 50 versions of the puzzle of prison that I'm having problems? And it's just like this is part of the process. There's going to be days when I hit it and there's days where I'm not. And that's just normal. 
Um, but the last one that I like is when you get it, say nothing. And I think that's the message of you could be good intentions and still causing harm. Because back in real life Davy's letter, he talks about the people who wanted to tell him how much they loved it. And he's code is saying, when you get it, you don't need to tell me. Because you were still giving me emotional weight to carry. You know? Like, that I have somehow changed your life or brightened up your thing. Like, there's a bit of, like, I didn't feel like that's what I was trying to do. I'm not trying to give you a grand experience. And you telling me that is giving me that knowledge, and now it feels like a bit of a weight of, like, does my next game, do I have to stop and think about what people are going to take from this and change their lives with it? I can't deal with that. That's too grand a scope, you know. Um, so I really love that. When you get it, don't say anything. Um, and saying, like, that might be a version of, like, hey, you could... When you think you're helping someone, try to make sure you're helping them, not just assume you're helping them. One way is, did they ask for help? They ask for help. If they're not asking, you might be butting in, and they might be too polite to say, hey, I'm good, thanks. Because that can be hard to say. When somebody comes in to help you, that can be hard to say, like, oh, I'm good. You end on the epilogue level, and this is where Davy is, is, is left. Um, and it might be, I don't know, there's that, that mansion, and it's empty. You know, success is hollow. Like, I don't feel like... I have success, but I don't feel like I have what I thought it would be. I have an empty mansion, you know. Um, the disease he talks about, okay, um, like it's referenced a couple times by Davey, and I even think Coda leaves some notes talking about the disease um, or having this disease. Uh, can be both imposter syndrome, or you could look at that, I think, as um, fan obsession. The need for your create the creator of the work to acknowledge you as a fan, like you're right, you've got everything, you've got all the meaning. Like, or is that what you're seeking validation by the creator to say, like, you got it, Mike? These are what the three dots mean. You're correct. You know, um, that sort of can lead to unhealthy uh, dependent. Um, I think Davy's leaving might mean that you cannot be told the meaning of the way. Hey, even Davy's not going to tell you what to interpret the events. You've got to figure them out. The beam of sacrifice makes its appearance. And I think the metaphorical meaning here is that if you want to ascend, you want to be successful, you're like, hey, I want to be a respected game designer. I want to make games people like to play. In a sense, you're killing off another side of your life, which is privacy, which is... I can make things for myself. I can throw out random things and just be a nobody and have the freedom of no one playing it. And privacy is weird because privacy and anonymity is a currency you don't realize you have until you've spent it. Once you have given that away, you, you can't get it back. You know, like Marcus, Davey, they can never throw something out and not have a bazillion news articles get written about it. It's not something you can unspend. You can't get a refund on that. Even Stephen King wrote under the pen name Richard Bachman, and people read it and went, this is a lot like Stephen King's writing, and sent Stephen King letters to say, are you this Richard Bachman guy? I think you are. And so he couldn't even escape it, even when he adopted another persona. Um, 
So I think it's where the meaning in the title comes from. You know, there's parables uh, to take from this. And this is sort of like, hey, if this is what you're going down, if you're seeking success, it's not going to be just roses and riches and everybody loves you. It's going to have a very dark side to it. And what I'm trying to tell you, Davy Reedon, trying to tell you the beginner, is just know that. Yeah, that's the advice that I see on a lot of game dev forums now is that don't get into game development expecting to become rich and famous. Do that game development because you like making games. If success comes, then great. If it doesn't, then yeah. you're still doing what you enjoy. Have doing. an internal motivator so that you're not relying on people playing yes. it, people reviewing it well. Because if that's, and this is true of a lot of things, if your self-worth is external, then you're going to feel imposter syndrome and you're going to have these bouts and, and all that. And so I think it's what he's saying at the end. It's just, hey, I want you to know this. I just want you to know this. I didn't really understand it when I went through it, and I'm trying to give that knowledge through it. Um, and there's, like you said, there's a ton of writing on it, and I don't think you would have internalized it. Or definitely, I wouldn't have internalized it just reading an article. I sort of knew that in a factual way, and now I sort of have, like, you've really made the experience empathized. I, I sort of see it on a deeper way to a word where I, like, do I want to do this? Is this really what I want to do? And accept the negative, you know, and on it. Um, and maybe I'm still naive. I'm still like, bring them. Oh, too many game of the year awards? Bring the problem on. Like, I'm still there, you know? Like, ah, I, I don't know. Bring it on. First world problem. I must yeah, like exactly. It's, it's, you're kind of looking at two extremes. Like you said, if you, if you try to go out and do something on the internet, there's a chance you may fail. External validation is a problem because then, you know, like he says something about, you know, if, if what people say about you or what people think is, you know, you have no backup system and you crash. The other side is if you can't handle it, you know, it's not sustainable either. Like, Correct. So um, the last thing I'll end on here to wrap it up is I don't know if you guys noticed or not. The ending credit song is named Turn Back. I'm, like, you read that a million different ways given yeah. the meaning, but it's like turn back. Are you talking about like, don't? <laughs> don't succeed success? Are you just, is that ironic? Are you wanting to turn back? I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. Let's just run around the table real quick. Dylan, people find you at where? Uh, what's going on? Anything you want to plug? Dylan Wolf on Twitter. Uh, DylanWolf.com has pretty much links to everything. Um, I'm a GA Tech grad on Twitter. You can also visit my website at levidsmith.com. The latest game that I've developed that I've been working on for like the last three weeks is called Kitty's Adventure. It's kind of like in memory of my pet cat. And I think I might have got the idea from the ending of the Beginner's Guide because it's just mazes. So if you really like mazes, I'll use a technique called Prim's Algorithm to randomly generate mazes. So if you really like that, please check out my game. It's on Game Jolt and Itch.io. I don't know. The only tie I have to is actually like a, my Gmail account. No, you don't need to give your Gmail out. Don't give your Gmail out. Um, I guess oh, it's not easy to find someone on Let Them Dare because you do have a lot of work up on. Um, you, you've done how many Let Them Dares? Do you know? Uh, I don't recall. 10 or 12. 10 or 12. Yeah. Uh, Jacob has done 10 or 12 uh, Let Them Dares. And, and you're how old? I am 12 at the 12, moment. 12, and we started doing this. He was nine? 
uh, third grade, whatever. Uh, he's in sixth grade now, so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and game maker. Wow. So <laughs> or maybe when you do the next one on this, maybe you can spend some time between here and, and maybe you set up a WordPress site or a link site or an itch.io or something. If, if you want. We just talked about the dangers of yeah. going public before you're ready. Yeah. Um, you need to you know, keep your privacy. That's, uh, anything for you, Jeffrey? Um, you know, I'm not really. Uh, if somebody wants to talk to me, they can get me. Your, your hobby. Your, <laughs> your code of 2007, 2008. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, anti-social media. Just you know, I you can't find me on YouTube. I have a couple videos, but nothing you know, game maker related. You can get me um, vinyl v i n u l l on Twitter. Also vinyl.com. The website will link to all the various things. Uh, the things I've been focused on recently. I do have a game that I've been working on. It's a little bit larger of a project. I'm not in a state where I'm even doing anything other than more than tweeting a screenshot because it's a little bit bigger than I normally buy it off for. So I'm working on uh, that game. I'm not really ready to talk anything about it because if I don't go anywhere with it, I don't want to have committed myself to anything. Uh, the YouTube channel, I spent the last month or so trying to be a Let's Player and really did a solid, like, solid month and a half new videos on new games, new content, and now I know I don't want to do that. Um, there will be games I let's play. They will be games I choose to let's play, and I'll be happy if they just. I don't care if they go into no views. Uh, there'll be games that I want to talk about for various reasons. They won't be games for traffic. Um, not that I have regretted any of the games we played. Uh, Until Dawn, uh, Undertale, I did let's play on that. Uh, the Witness is still ongoing. Um, also going up is Firewatch right now. Uh, and there's, I think I'm, I'm missing. Anyway, I don't know. There's too many. Too many. Um, but I am going to shift the focus, I think, back to some more think pieces in video form. And one of the reasons I'm doing this is, like, I think Beginner's Guide is going to be one of my first, like, try to get the 90 minutes I rambled. I don't know what I rambled. I rambled a lot. At least an hour. It's shameful as I look at the time over here. Um, I try to pare that down. Can I get that into a 15-minute, nice little YouTube video where people watch and go like, oh, I didn't really think of the Beginner's Guide that way. That's good. And i got some other games that I want to take and talk about. Undertale, The Witness, and, and things like that. Of like, these aren't reviews. These are just game designer thoughts. Um, I really like doing that. I love doing this podcast, so let's bring find out about that. Speaking of the podcast, shortly after this episode goes up, we are being submitted to iTunes because we'll have two episodes. And if you really want to help out the podcast, going into iTunes, putting iTunes on your thing and they're going, leaving a rating on a podcast, even if you don't listen to us on iTunes, even if you play to it from YouTube or somewhere else, um, can really help the awareness of the podcast. A lot of podcasts are discovered through Apple recommendations and the number of ratings and things that you get like that um, do go into that factor and beef it up and let me just be clear i'm not asking for five stars you want to leave us one star and just give us the beginner's guide of this is what you get for asking for reviews on your podcast you are welcome to it uh i am not limiting or asking for good reviews uh on there but if you want to read a review and a comment on the podcast you can do that and of course you can leave it on the knoxgamedesign.org website which if you're in the knoxville area we meet once a month. You can come out uh, and join us. We do uh, a game design topic, tutorial, sharing our game session before this. And then afterwards, we hang out and we record the podcast. 
And the last thing is the, the name of the game again is Crash Lands for next Crash Lands. So next month's podcast will be Crash Lands. Thank you everyone for tuning in and listening.